Good day to all you Bible in a Year with Bill listeners. <laughs> I heard I heard podcast listeners referred to as a podience, um, which I think is ingenious. Hello, podience. I wonder if I can use that term. Anyway, welcome to Bible in a Year with Bill. Today we're going to be reading, continuing from Luke chapter 16 to 18, and then we're going to finish off today's reading with Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So let's get right into it today. The book of Luke, chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, There was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? You're fired, and I want a complete audit of your books. The manager said to himself, What am I going to do? I've lost my job as manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I'll do. Then when I'm turned out into the street, people will take me into their houses. Then he went at it. One after another, he called in the people who were in debt to his master. He said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He replied, A hundred jugs of olive oil. The manager said, Here, take your bill. Sit down there quick now. Write fifty. To the next, he said, And you, what do you owe? He answered, A hundred sacks of wheat. He said, Take your bill. Write in eighty. Now here's a surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right, using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. Jesus went on to make these comments. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. He'll either hate the first and love the second, or adore the first and despise the second. We can't serve both God and the bank. When the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes, dismissing him as hopelessly out of touch. So Jesus spoke to them, You are masters at making yourselves look good in front of others, but God knows what's behind the appearance. What society sees and calls monumental, God sees through and calls monstrous. God's law and the prophets climaxed in John. Now it's all kingdom of God, the the glad news and compelling invitation to every man and woman. The sky will disintegrate and the earth dissolve before a single letter of God's law wears out. Using the legalities of divorce as a cover for lust is adultery. Using the legalities of marriage as a cover for lust is adultery. There once was a rich man, expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. A poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, had been dumped on his doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps off the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. 
Then he died, this poor man, and was taken up by the angels to the lap of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell and in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap. He called out, Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you got the good things and Lazarus the bad things. It's not like that here. Here he's consoled and you're tormented. Besides, in all these matters there is a huge chasm set between us so that no one can go from us to you even if he wanted to, nor can anyone cross over from you to us. The rich man said, Then let me ask you, father, send him to the house of my father where I have five brothers so he can tell them the score and warn them so they won't end up here in this place of torment. Abraham answered, They have Moses and the prophets to tell them the score. Let them listen to them. I know, father Abraham, he said, but they're not listening. If someone came back to them from the dead, they would change their ways. Abraham replied, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. Luke chapter 17 He said to his disciples, Hard trials and temptations are bound to come, but too bad for whoever brings them on. Better to wear a millstone necklace and take a swim in the deep blue sea than give even one of these dear little ones a hard time. Be alert. If you see your friend going wrong, correct him. If he responds, forgive him. If it's personal against you and repeated seven times through the day, and seven times he says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, forgive him. The apostles came up and said to the master, Give us more faith. But the master said, You don't need more faith. There is no more or less in faith. If you have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed, you could say to the sycamore tree, Go jump in the lake, and it would do it. Suppose one of you has a servant who comes in from plowing the field or tending the sheep. Would you take his coat, set the table, and say, Sit down and eat? Wouldn't you be more likely to say, Prepare dinner, change your clothes, and wait table for me until I've finished my coffee? Then go to the kitchen and have your supper. Does a servant get special thanks for doing what's expected of him? It's the same with you. When you've done everything expected of you, be matter-of-fact and say, The work is done. What we were told to do, we did. It happened that as he made his way toward Jerusalem, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. They went, and while still on their way, became clean. One of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet so grateful, he couldn't thank him enough, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, We're not ten healed? Where are the nine? Can none be found to come back and give glory to God except this outsider? Then he said to him, Get up, on your way. Your faith has healed and saved you. Jesus, grilled by the Pharisees on when the kingdom of God would come, answered, The kingdom of God doesn't come by counting the days on the calendar, nor when someone says, Look here, or there it is. And why? Because God's kingdom is already among you. He went on to say to his disciples, The days are coming when you are going to be desperately homesick for just a glimpse of one of the days of the Son of Man, and you won't see a thing. 
and they'll say to you, look over there or look here. Don't fall for any of that nonsense. The arrival of the Son of Man is not something you go out to see. He simply comes. You know how the whole sky lights up from a single flash of lightning? That's how it will be on the day of the Son of Man. But first it's necessary that he suffer many things and be turned down by the people of today. The time of the Son of Man will be just like the time of Noah. Everyone carrying on as usual, having a good time right up to the day Noah boarded the ship. They suspected nothing until the flood hit and swept everything away. It was the same in the time of Lot, the people carrying on, having a good time, business as usual, right up to the day Lot walked out of Sodom and a firestorm swept down and burned everything to a crisp. That's how it will be, sudden, total, when the Son of Man is revealed. When the day arrives and you're out working in the yard, don't run into the house to get anything. And if you're out in the field, don't go back and get your coat. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? If you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you'll lose it. But if you let that life go, you'll get life on God's terms. On that day, two men will be in the same boat fishing, one taken, the other left. Two women will be working in the same kitchen, one taken, the other left. Trying to take this all in, the disciples said, Master, where? He told them, Watch for the circling of the vultures. They'll spot the corpse first. The action will begin around my dead body. Luke chapter 18 Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. He said, There was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. He never gave her the time of day. But after this, this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. Then the master said, Do you hear what, the, what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. He will not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? He told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a taxman. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this taxman. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Meanwhile, the taxman, slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy, forgive me. A sinner. Jesus commented, This taxman, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. People brought babies to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they shooed them off. Jesus called them back, Let these little children alone. Don't get between them and me. These children are the kingdom's pride and joy. Mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. 
One day, one of the local officials asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to deserve eternal life? Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't you? No illicit sex, no killing, no stealing, no lying. Honor your father and mother. He said, I've kept them all for as long as I can remember. When Jesus heard that, he said, There's only one thing left to do. Sell everything your own and give it away to the poor. You will have riches in heaven. Then come, follow me. This was the last thing the official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let them go. Seeing his reaction, Jesus said, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? I'd say it's easier to thread a camel through a needle's eye than get a rich person into God's kingdom. Then who has any chance at all? The others asked. No chance at all, Jesus said. If you think you can pull it off by yourself, every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. Peter tried to regain some initiative. We left everything. We owned and followed you, didn't we? Yes, said Jesus, and you won't regret it. No one who has sacrificed home, spouse, brothers and sisters, parents, children, whatever, will lose out. It will all come back multiplied many times over in your lifetime. And then the bonus of eternal life. Then Jesus took the twelve off to the side and said, Listen carefully, we're on our way up to Jerusalem. Everything written in the prophets about the Son of Man will take place. He will be handed over to the Romans, jeered at, made sport of, and spit on. Then after giving him the third degree, they will kill him. In three days he will rise alive. But they didn't get it. Could make neither heads or tails of what he was talking about. He came to the outskirts of Jericho. A blind man was sitting beside the road asking for handouts. When he heard the rustle of the crowd, he asked what was going on. They told him, Jesus, the Nazarene is going by. He yelled, Jesus, son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Those ahead of Jesus told the man to shut up, but he only yelled all the louder, louder son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered him to be brought over. When he had come near, Jesus asked, What do you want from me? He said, Master, I want to see again. Jesus said, Go ahead, see again. Your faith has saved and healed you. The healing was instant. He looked up, seeing, and then followed Jesus, glorifying God. Everyone in the street joined in, shouting praise to God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 There's an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything on the earth, a right time for birth and another for death, a right time to plant and another to reap, a right time to kill and another to heal, a right time to destroy and another to construct, a right time to cry and another to laugh, a right time to lament and another to cheer. A right time to make love, and another to abstain. A right time to embrace, and another to part. A right time to search, and another to count your losses. A right time to hold on, and another to let go. A right time to rip out, and another to mend. A right time to shut up, and another to speak up.
a right time to love and another to hate, a right time to wage war and another to make peace. But in the end, does it really make a difference what anyone does? I've had a good look at what God has given us to do, busy work mostly. True, God made everything beautiful in itself and in its time, but he's left us in the dark so we can never know what God is up to, whether he's coming or going. I've decided that there's nothing better to do than go ahead and have a good time and get the most we can out of life. That's it. Eat, drink, and make the most of your job. It's God's gift. I've also concluded that whatever God does, that's the way it's going to be always. No addition, no subtraction. God's done it and that's it. That's so we'll quit asking questions and simply worship in holy fear. Whatever was, is. Whatever will be, is. That's how it always is with God. I took another good look at what's going on. The very place of judgment, corrupt. The place of righteousness, corrupt. I said to myself, God will judge righteous and wicked. There's a right time for everything, every deed, and there's no getting around it. I said to myself regarding the human race, God's testing the lot of us, showing us up as nothing but animals. Humans and animals come to the same end. Humans die. Animals die. We all breathe the same air. So there's really no advantage in being human. None. Everything's smoke. We all end up in the same place. We all came from dust. We all end up as dust. Nobody knows for sure that the human spirit rises to heaven or that the animal spirit sinks into the earth. So I made up my mind that there's nothing better for us men and women than to have a good time in whatever we do. That's our lot. Who knows if there's anything else to life? Wow, what a great reading today. You know, I forgot to mention at the beginning of this podcast today that it's July 3rd. We're on day 183. We're officially halfway through the message this year. That's awesome. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable about a shrewd manager who really cooked the books in such a way as to get himself fired. Before getting his walking papers, he contacted many of the people who owed his boss money and offered to decrease their debts. This really can't be seen as an ethical practice, but it did show ingenuity and assertiveness. The manager was networking. He was using favors and debt forgiveness to build relationships and possibly use those relationships to gain employment when his time was done with his current boss. Plainly, the manager was using the company's capital to build up a reserve of personal favors so that when he lost his job, he would be able to find another one. His boss quickly saw what he was doing, too. And he had a most unusual reaction. He praised his manager's ingenuity and shrewdness. Now, neither Jesus nor the boss ever praised deceitfulness, dishonesty, or creative bookkeeping. But both of them recognized the manager's vision. When faced with a serious problem, he did not hide, blame somebody, run to the bottle, or jump off a cliff. Instead, he faced his problem and came up with a shrewd solution to solving it. Jesus commended him because as soon as he saw his problem, he became solution-oriented. 
Thank you for joining me again today on Bible in a Year with Bill. I'm so glad to be on this journey through the message with each and every one of you. I'll be here tomorrow, same time, same place. I hope to see you there. Take care now. Thank you.